You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt. And not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a seven or eight mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. You're going to be sleeping in a wall tent, and you're going to be doing that for five days with the founder and CEO of Outdoor Edge, David Block. Now, if you've never been on an elk hunt before, I'm telling you right now, go sign up for this because if you ever hear a elk bugle, whether it's at 400 yards or it's at 40 yards, it is a life-changing experience. So here's how you enter. Go to OutdoorEdge.com. There's going to be a big banner for it somewhere on their homepage. All you have to do is click on that. Go fill out some information. I think your name, your email address, maybe some other stuff. And that's all you have to do. That's how you are entered. They're going to be picking a winner oh, a ways from now. So you have plenty of time to enter. Go visit OutdoorEdge.com. Sign up today. And if you decide to purchase any products from the website, Enter the discount code NATION30. That's the word NATION with the number 30 after that. No spaces. NATION30, and you will receive 30% off your purchase. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, whenever you're listening to this. Welcome back to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast, and boy, do we have one hell of an episode for you guys today. Our good buddy, Tom Peplinski, if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you've probably heard an episode with Tom on it, and he recently just shot a 207-inch slobber knocker whatever you want to call a big buck here in Iowa uh, an absolute hammer of a buck uh, only three days into the Iowa bow hunting season so about so about uh, a week and a half ago and this episode is that story now we talk on this podcast specifically with Tom about food plots, about hunting strategy, about uh, habitat management, about all these things that he does throughout the year to improve the deer herd on his farm. And it all paid off and it all came down to the shot. He drilled the deer. And this is, this episode is that story, man. I couldn't, you know, 
I, I've never actually met Tom in person, unfortunately. We came really close to the Iowa Deer Classic one year, but um, he has become a, a friend just through this podcast. And when he sent me an email that was like, Deer Down, and then he told me a brief little story, I was so happy. I was so jacked for him because I know how hard this dude works to manage his ground and, you know, get an opportunity like this you're right this is a once in a lifetime opportunity and he sealed the deal on it and uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty jacked for for Tom but before we get into today's episode we got to talk about our sponsor quiet cat now if you guys haven't been to the quiet cat website quietcat.com to check out their list of e-bikes I highly recommend doing it because not only are these things fun to ride but they're functional as well so if you're older if you have bad knees, or if you're trying to get deeper into a piece of property without spooking game, the Quiet Cat is the answer to that those problems. Now, what is an e-bike? An e-bike is um, it's basically a mountain bike that has a battery on it, and you can engage the pedal assist, so you can pedal, but the motor kicks in and helps you, uh, you know get back to where you need to go or it even comes with a throttle so you can treat it almost like a motorcycle but it's on a mountain bike right so you hit the throttle and you can go up the hills you can go deeper in and not only is it fun but it's functional so i highly recommend going and checking out their website taking a look at all the SKUs that these guys offer quietcat.com that's the commercial Let's get into today's big old buck story with our good buddy, Tom Peplinski. On the phone with me today, you dirty, dirty dog, Tom Peplinski. How are you doing, man? Oh, couldn't be any better. Couldn't be any better, Dan. Glad to be back talking with you again. Yeah, and I'm uh, definitely glad that you're on the, the show today because I love it when I get emails or text messages this time of year that the subject line is deer down and you know that whoever sent it to you, something good is going to be on that picture or on that, you know, that text or something like it's going to be a good buck. And when I saw that I got this email from you and then I, you know, I, I knew it was going to be a decent deer, but I did not know it was going to be as big as what you actually shot. So that is what this episode is going to be uh, about. It's breaking down this recent uh, this recent buck that you killed here in Iowa. And let me just ask you before we start diving into all the details, like, have you got a good night's sleep yet? <laughs> yeah, late, lately there was a few. The first night was uh, the first night when I killed that deer. I was talking and texting and Facebook messaging and stuff. And I was till three in the morning and then I didn't even sleep much from three in the morning on and talking <laughs> to people I haven't talked to in a long time. And it was a lot of fun, but yeah, I mean, recently it's the edge is starting to wear down, but I'm still smiling, still, still enjoying the moment. I'll tell you that. Yeah, that's a fact, man. It's an absolutely gorgeous buck. So let me ask you this. How much bigger is this buck in the antler department than the the next biggest buck that you've shot? Uh, I shot one about 10 years ago that would have been my biggest, 
and that one was right around 170. Okay, so you just crushed so, it. You just crushed it. Yeah, yeah, I would say <laughs> for for squirrel for squirrel life, but yeah, it's quite quite a jump. Yeah. All right. I I you know, and we didn't do any small talk before the episode started because I wanted to catch everything as authentic as possible during this conversation. And I want to go back at the very beginning, right? I want to, when was the first time that you ever laid eyes or trail camera pictures or found sheds to this particular buck? So the, the first time I knew this deer existed in my opinion. Now, there's a little bit of debate about this. So some of my neighbors are saying that it's a different deer that we've shared uh, camera pictures from. Um, I don't think it is the same deer. So, in my opinion, the first time I laid eyes on this deer were uh, camera pictures I started getting in late August of this year. Of this year? First I've, of this year. That's correct. Okay. So, he is a, a new deer to, to you. In your farm, that's correct. Now, now, when I would say he he probably was there, he probably was there when he was younger, and um, probably already getting off topic a little bit. But um, my guess is my farm was in his home range when he was year year old, two years old, and then he probably at some point, probably when he was four or five, set up camp in more of a smaller core area off my farm you know, you know i don't have a thousand acres of 120 acres so that's definitely not unheard of right and that when you have a deer that yeah you know, they have a deer of that caliber that technically your farm is in their home range but you know he's lucky to pass through it once or twice a year and i think that was my farm until this year right so the, i always talk about this with other guys who are mature dominant buck big you know big buck hunters who are similar to you i don't have the the you know i'm not lucky enough to own my own land yet but there creates a vacuum when we start talking about you know okay there's a dominant buck in this area he either gets shot and that leaves you know or he gets hit by a car or he moves into a different range that had some kind of vacuum and it creates almost like a chain reaction where there's this new core area for these bucks to roam because one other dominant buck or two other dominant bucks were taken off the landscape. And now there's this readjustment of who gets what to rain. Do you think that something like that happened? I think something like that is possible. Um, I think more, I think more likely in a, and the reason why I say this is because I was able to hunt a, a big farm years ago and we shot a lot of does and we, our goal was always to keep the deer herd on our farm at the time um, at a lower population level than our neighbors. So our goal for that was to create a continual vacuum of area and habitat that was available for displaced bucks when they were young and for mature bucks when they got to be four and five, six years old, that they yeah. didn't want and no longer liked yeah. the social stress of all these does and all these other bucks. And it just seems like when they get to that older age, they will leave 
they will leave a farm that they've spent their whole life on and go to a different area in their home range where they don't have to deal with all that social stress. Yeah. So I, I think that was probably what happened here. Right. So there was a little bit of an a, adjustment. So you're saying there is the possibility though, that he was around on your farm uh, on, you know, when he was, when he was four and, and five or he left when he was four and five. Uh, no, I would say he was probably gone before then. So okay. He, he probably set up his home range when he was a year and a half old. And, and let's just pretend for discussion's sake, it was 1500 acres. Um, but as he got older, that, that core that he used shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. Um, to the point where sure there was a chance he would come through my farm, but it would be, you know, once or twice, maybe during the rut, something like that, the, you know, late season ex- excursion. Um, but his core was someplace else. Yeah. And my our thought process is that once he got older and this time of year, when the rut's really not kicking in yet, he just doesn't want to be around a lot of does and fawn family groups and younger bucks. And so he just, he just doesn't tolerate that kind of social stress and he just picked up and, you know, it could have been even a half a mile. I'm not saying he moved a long, a long way, but when you have a small, a small farm, a small parcel, a deer like that moving a half a mile is the difference between, okay, now he's here compared to, you, you might not even see him all season. Yeah. All right. So when was the first sighting of him through trail camera? Uh, it was late August. Okay. I, I don't know the exact date. I mean, I have all the pictures and stuff on my laptop, but it was, he was still in velvet. Like, let's just say August 15th or 21st or somewhere in that time frame. And it was in an area that I oftentimes actually get big velvet buck type pictures because it's, it's adjacent to open hardwoods. There are some acorns in there. Uh, the food plot or there is no food plots, but it's, um, alfalfa, really nice alfalfa on the neighbors is, is in that area. So that summertime and late summer time frame, it's pretty common in that area that I would pick up some nice bucks. Okay. Uh, just because they don't like, they don't like the really thick cover until they shed velvet and stuff like that. Right. So I was talking with a handful of other guys here in Iowa specifically on checking their trail cameras after that derecho, that big windstorm came through Iowa. And all of them said that some of my bucks left and I had other new bucks show up. So there was almost like a displacement because of this storm. Do you think that that had anything to do with it? Uh, No. No. Where where we are down here, there was was no impact from that storm. It just kind of... It, it's when that derecho went through it split and we we hardly even got any rain from that we okay. did have some wind some 40 50 mile an hour wind but we hardly had any rain and it just kind of split went north um as we know like through that more i-80 corridor and then it went south through missouri so where we are there you would never even know that that happened okay all right so that that weather the impact of weather probably had no play in him moving into this farm no, no, I think it I think it was entirely based on habitat and deer deer pressure from the surrounding areas. Gotcha. 
Okay. You know, and I, and I don't know this, Dan. This is that's that's what I'm going with. That's, yeah. To me, that's what makes sense, and I've seen it before. Yeah, yeah. I I makes sense to me too, man. But let me ask you this. Okay, so you got this buck on trail camera, and when you get a deer like this, and I'm I'm speaking from my experience, you get a monster like this on trail camera. All your plans that you've had about what your hit list is for me anyway they kind of change and they go okay if he's here i'm going to focus on him as much as i possibly can because this is a once this is potentially a once in a lifetime deer right so when you got that first trail camera picture of him did you say to yourself okay time to hyper focus on him or did you say uh he'll probably be gone he's just like a one and done or did he start to stick around and and did he start to did you start getting more and more trail camera pictures of him so kind of kind of in between so that's that's mid mid late august time frame when i picked him up and in my mind i'm thinking well that those pictures at this point are kind of irrelevant that's that's kind of where I, where I went with it. Sure, I know he's there now, but picking up a deer like that in August at that time frame is, is irrelevant. So I first start running my trail cameras each year um, now nowadays when I put in my fall plots. So that was, I put in my fall plots of brassicas this year, and I started planting some rye in late August, early September. So that's when I started putting the cameras out, and that's when I picked that deer up. Um, so my thought process going, in, process going into it was I still have these other farms that I want to hunt, that I want to set up for. I'm still running cameras. Let's just see what happens on the other farms that I have the ability to hunt, and let's see if I pick this deer back up when he's hard horn, and then toward the later part of September. Because the information, you know, kind of just – repeating myself here but the information that i'm getting on my cameras typically the end of august is i don't want to say useless but it's it's almost useless at, at least in my opinion yeah so you are you are doing some inventory of what bucks are around but it's not really huntable information at this point yeah what really changed was i started getting them on a bed to feed pattern the end of september okay so that's when that's when it went from okay, he's there, I still have my home farm to hunt, I still have my neighbors that he's letting me hunt, to, okay, now I can really focus on this animal because he's hard horn. it's end of September, he's bed to feed pattern, I know what his preferred food source is, I think I know what the general travel pattern he's using, and he's bedding on my farm. He's, I, know where, I know where he's bedding, or at least I think I know where he's bedding, so now it goes from hey there's a great buck in the area to there's a great buck in the area he's on my land and i can kill him right so did you make any food plot decisions based on him being around like what to plant and where to plant no nothing changed i so i i always i I still go with the, the main destination preferred food source whether that's corn and beans for very late in the season early season on this at this particular farm the destination early season food plot is 
green alfalfa that's not even on my land. It's, uh, it's on the neighbor's land. But typically, they don't get to that green alfalfa until right at dark or after dark. Right. That's been my experience. Now, the, the does and fawns and the littler bucks and stuff, yeah, they'll be out there an hour before light. But the bigger bucks, the mature bucks, aren't getting to that main alfalfa field until after dark. And, that's, and it's been that way for a long time. So my food plot strategy was the way it always was, plant transition plots to try and cut off the deer between feeding. And then these transition plots are nothing special. They're not meant to feed deer. It's just an area where the deer can pick up some, some you know, easy greens on their path to preferred food. And there's usually a mock scrape in these little transition areas, and that's the easiest place to cut them off, in my opinion. So the strategy was the same because... When I started planting my food plots, you know, I don't know if this deer is going to be there or where he's going to uh, say his, his home is. So okay. it's just kind of a generic. There's a strategy to it, but not specific to that deer. Right. So when you when you started uh, like started getting closer to October first, you know, because you it, you know you said you you got them on a bed to feed pattern there, and you started getting hit, you know, it started getting closer to October 1st. Did the times that he was on his feet stay the same or did, and the reason I ask this is because I find that somewhere in this mid September to early October, once the velvet uh, strips off, they may be in that, in that daylight bed to food pattern for just a little while longer, but then something happens and there's a switch that kind of flips and then they start becoming a little bit more active nocturnally. Did what? What did this buck do? This he was uh, he was just on a just a straight kind of bed to feed pattern, and the, the camera I was getting him on was on. Hard to explain this, but I have warm season grasses. I think it's big blue stem and some switchgrass, and it's right up to this alfalfa field. So I have the switchgrass, and then it's out, and then it's the alfalfa, and I cut out a small path through this switchgrass, and then it leads back to where I can plant a really small food plot. I mean, this thing is like a tenth of an acre, and I have a mock scrape on it. And I do that because these deer will, will nibble on that uh, transition plot, as I'm calling it, and then they follow this basically lane that I have cut through the switchgrass out to the alfalfa. And I started picking this buck up September 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 25th, just every single day headed out to the alfalfa, always facing in the same direction, but always at quarter to eight, 10 to eight, five after eight, 20 to eight. So he's coming through at dark, but yet in the camera, you can actually see the light. The sky is not completely dark yet. You see what I'm saying? It's yep. just at, it's right at sunset. So my strategy was because it's, it's just literally every single day. Um, now let's, let's look at, Let's just stop talking about that for a second. I also had another camera about 200 yards away on another lane uh, cut to this alfalfa field, but kind of a different location. In two or three days in the morning now, at like four in the morning, I catch the same deer coming back to the west, so heading in the exact in the opposite direction toward the bedding area. So in my mind, this is 
this is perfect scenario. This is this is what he's doing. He's coming out of this bedding area on my farm. He's working out this draw. He's walking through this transition plot. He's getting there at dark. He's feeding in the alfalfa. He probably beds in the alfalfa in the middle of the night. And then feeds again in the morning, gets up, and he's back in his bed by sunrise or slightly after sunrise. But this is his pattern. Okay. So for me then, it was it was just a matter of how far back toward his bedding do I have to go to catch him during daylight on an evening hunt? Okay. So in previous podcasts, you talk about these little kill plots that you have, and they're basically to slow deer down on their way to the ag, you know, the, the, the bigger destination food plot. Did you, did you have from where you, where you thought he was betting to this, this alfalfa destination food plot? Did you have any daylight pictures of him on any of those, those smaller kill plots? No, no. Okay. No, nothing daylight. The only, the only pictures I had were these ones that I had September 22nd. And I think the last card poll was the 29th. So between the 22nd and the 29th, I think there was one day in there that he didn't walk through that camera down that lane and headed toward that alfalfa. Okay. There's only one night. And every night it was like quarter to eight to five after eight, all in that time frame. Right. What about the mornings? So the mornings, the only pictures I had were those two, and that was like at four in the morning. Okay. So, so nothing, he... nothing daylight, but yet the evening ones are not far from daylight. Right. So he not wasn't taking the same, he wasn't taking the same route back to bed. No. No, no. He was probably he probably altered his daytime, his morning trip back. You know who knows hundred yards. And what's what's really weird is he never ever walked past that same camera that I had him on every single evening. In the morning, I never got him in the morning. It was a different camera that was a couple hundred yards away where I had gotten him a couple times. Okay, so so then at this point, as the story and the data from this deer starts to really tell what he's doing, right? What was going on through your head of what you needed to do? Talk to us about the the thought process into the strategy of how you were going to intercept this deer. So the the camera that I was getting this, this buck, at, let's just say 8 o'clock every night, was on a draw, and this draw is 400 yards long, and it exits my main what I call my main timber on the farm. And it basically, it's a, it's a, it runs west to east. The alfalfa is on the east. So in my mind, he's bedded in my timber. That's all I have to do is just work progressively, work my way farther west as the winds allow until I have a shot opportunity on this buck during daylight. At the same time, I want to be aggressive because this pattern is here right now but it could change. I mean, they could, he could literally come off this pattern at a moment's notice. Right. It's not like, I don't, I don't hardly ever see a deer like that or really any deer are on this pattern for like months. So even though I got them for what seems like seven days in a row on the ninth day or the eighth day, it could be, it could be over. So I need to get back in on this draw as far as I can, hopefully opening night so that I can cut them off and kill them before the pattern changes. So in my mind, I had a couple stands that were on that draw farther to the west. 
so I wanted to pick which stand was available based on the wind direction for an evening hunt. Um, and I did that on opening night. And it, the particular setup was on a different small transition plot, but it was in a ground blind. Now, the opening night sit, I was thinking, I'm going to see this buck. I didn't have an overly confident view or, or thought process that I would kill him opening night. But I put myself in a position where I can kill him tonight, but sitting in this ground blind, I can see this entire draw. Um, the part of the draw where this ground blind is located is, is more open. And then based on what I see opening night, I had a good exit plan. I can get out. I can maybe even come back and hang a stand on, on the second night, October 2nd or October 3rd. And then that would be the night when I would kill him. So that was kind of the strategy. The first night was a possible, maybe I can kill him, but more, more likely it's a, I'm going to see him tonight, exit where he can't, where he's not going to have no idea I was even there. I'll come in the next day, hang a set at noon, and then kill him on, on the second night. That was my thought process going into opening night. Yeah. So the access to the location where you were going to try to kill him was equally as, as important as how you were going to get out of there if he didn't come through or if you just saw him, right? Yeah. Yep. So it was it's side kind of what I call side access. I'm not coming in from the, from the destination food source. I'm not coming in from the bedding. I'm coming in from the side. Um, that particular night, it was a west wind. Um, so I'm able to get in, sit in the blind with a west wind, and I'm watching, I'm watching the draw from probably 150 yards away. And as soon as he, if, if he comes down this draw, then my exit's going to actually be to the north. Okay. And I'll, and I'll be able to sneak out. The alfalfa is so far away that technically the deer would be downwind of me, but it's by the time you would get out there, it's a, a 40 or better away. So I'm, I'm not thinking he's going to smell me. I'll sneak out and then set up on him for night two. Okay. But what happened was opening night came, and all I saw was a little buck and two does. The target, the target buck that I had hopes of seeing, because I'm, I'm right up to my timber now, so I'm right up to where the deer should be coming out and he never showed. So my thought process there now is I still think he's using this draw, but he must be, he must be working his way out faster than what I'm thinking. Cause normally I'm thinking, okay, these deer this time of year, they're going to come out. They're going to nibble. Maybe they'll do some scraping. They'll stand around and watch. I mean, you've seen these deer this early season. They just don't, they don't come out and move 400 yards and, in 10 minutes it's just they nibble and puts around and and they make their way out so the fact that i didn't see them had me thinking that well okay i'm still this is still the draw he's using or at least this is the draw i think he's using so maybe friday night maybe saturday night, he'll come out a little earlier um but that was by and large the draw where i would have said if i had to bet money that's that's where he's coming out okay so this draw, right? I mean, now, now you're just super hyper-focused on this one draw. You think you've, you've got it figured out. And this is where the cat, this is where the, for me, this is, if I know, our, if I know a deer's in there or I see a buck and you, you catch him on a pattern, right? You, you want to be aggressive because you want to catch him, like you said, on this pattern. But at the same time, 
you go 10 steps too far, you get busted and then it's over for if, you know, maybe the whole season, right? He may not come back. He may go to the farmers. He may go to his backup bed or wherever, you know, wherever he's living and it becomes kind of stressful. So, you know, when, when you got out of there that night, what was plan B then? So plan B was, so that particular blind where I can sit, I can sit with any west wind. So anything basically from southwest to northwest, and I can see a long ways. So you know, I was still on plan A at that point. Okay. So my the plan was still get in that blind and see this deer and then set up on them. That was still the that was still the plan. And and this blind is also on a small food plot that actually in late October and into November, once that alfalfa takes some hard frost, this food plot I'm sitting on actually becomes a destination preferred food source. But this time of year, it's not. This time it's year that they travel through it and they head out to that lush alfalfa. So the plan is still the same. But what happens is the second day, we have variable winds. So on day two, the wind is northwest, southeast, northeast, West, it's all over the place. So I'm not, I have no plan to be able to go in after this buck. So day two, I just sit in observation stand on a completely different farm, 30 miles away on the ground with my binoculars as a, I'm going to, I'm going to sit tonight as an observation stand and see what comes out. It was a completely different um, farm and it was actually on another alfalfa field. Let me ask you so this. That's more of a, that's more of a hunting season's open. I want to hunt this is the best scenario I have gotcha. where I can, you know, not spook anything and still enjoy tonight's hunt. Right. So just for full disclosure here, you have, uh, you're a landowner in Iowa, which gives you your statewide tag and your landowner's tag. So like for me, I wouldn't have, I don't have that. I don't have that landowner's tag. So for me, I probably wouldn't have even hunted. I just would have like, because if this, this, if this is my target buck, I only want to go after this buck, right? You have an other tag. So you potentially could, uh, you could run into a different deer to shoot on it, on your other farms, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Potentially. Now, now, don't get me wrong. That was the one I was gunning for. That's, that's the one I wanted, but, and this was going to sound bad. I'm not a, if, if a nice mature buck would have came through on the second day, yeah, I would have, I would have shot him. It's not. I understand that a buck that scores 200 inches and stuff is incredible and everything, but I'm not a. I just I'm not a score guy. Right. right. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm elated that that deer's that big, but a mature buck would have walked by the second day and he'd have been in a world of hurt. But um, I just went because it's open season. And I wait all year, so I'd, if I have a chance to go, I'm going to go. Right. Yeah, makes a lot of sense, man. Yes, I'm the same yes, way. But yes, you're correct. And, and in all reality, if I would have shot a deer on that other farm on day two, I could have went right back down to the Ivy grocery store and then got a landowner tag, and then could have went still went hunting back and after that same buck. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. So yeah, you're right. It just it's absolutely I do have more options, so that makes it easier. All right. So day one, he's a no show. But did he show up on trail camera on day on opening day? 
I don't know because I haven't even gone back and checked any of those okay. cameras since I harvested <laughs> that animal. Okay. So once I had that pattern on them, I, 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 never, I didn't go back. Okay. To me, it was, okay, I'm going to hunt this deer hard for about a week or two. And then if I don't see him, which to me would be strange if I actually wouldn't at least lay eyes on him. Yeah. Then I'm going to go back and I'm going to do another card pull in the area. And I'm going to see, okay, is he still coming through? Is he not? Is he, am I getting him somewhere else? But I can't answer you since, since that card pull where I saw him, I have not checked those cameras since. Okay. All right. Makes sense. So day two, you play off right? You go somewhere else. November 3rd, do, do you have the right wind? Do you have all the right conditions to go back after him? So this is where, this is where it takes a twist. Okay. <laughs> and it's, it's fun because day three, I have an east wind. Okay. So it's completely wrong for this ground blind because this ground blind is anything out of the west, right? Southwest, west, northwest. I have an east wind. So this draw that exits my timber that I have this camera on where he's headed out to the alfalfa, I can't hunt that draw. However, there is another draw on that same farm that exits from the north. I call it my north draw. In that stand, or there's a stand on that draw, same thing, little transition plot. It's a if you would if you would share this plot on social media, people would say, well, that plot's a failure because it, it's mostly dirt. There's some winter rye and a few brassicas in there. But it's actually done that way on purpose because it's a transition plot. It's not meant to feed. It's meant for scraping. Um, it's a place where the deer can walk out, grab a bite to eat, and, set, and head over to the same alfalfa field. So the wind for that stand on that draw is perfect. It's a nice 15-mile-per-hour east wind. We had some rain that night. I can slip into this tree stand on this, what I call north draw. And my thought process is I can't cover what I call my west draw tonight. We have an east wind. I can't hunt it. There's nothing to lose by hunting this north draw. I have the perfect wind for it. Worst case scenario, I don't see the buck again. Uh, number three, I don't have a camera on that draw. I just, I just don't have one there. So I have no way of knowing, is the buck actually using the north draw, coming all the way down to the south, walking in front of this other camera, and then heading to the east? It's possible. In my mind, it's not likely, but it's possible. The fifth kind of scenario that's in my mind is, is, is there a chance that a doe walks out? Then I would, shoot, I would shoot a doe. I would do some management tonight. So there's like a bunch of reasons to go here. Is there going to be buck sign down in there, you know, using the sign method? Is there going to be scrapes and rubs? Am I going to lay eyes on this giant buck? Nothing happens toward quitting time. I shoot a doe. So it's kind of, it's kind of a, what do you want to say? I have nothing to lose kind of a sit in this north draw. If I'm a ding man, that big buck's using the west draw. But there's a chance he's using this north draw. Now, later in the podcast, looking back, you know, I'm, I know I'm jumping ahead, but looking back, it completely makes sense why this giant buck was using that north draw. But at the time, I'm thinking, ah, it's more of a, I'm going to go here because I want to hunt tonight, and I can, I can do some more figuring out by, by sitting in there. And there's no way a deer can smell me in that spot with an east wind. It's like almost foolproof. Yeah. 
little foreshadowing there. All right. So, yeah. so what did you end up seeing on November 3rd or excuse me, October 3rd? So that's, I go into that spot. Like I said, it's the East wind and it's, it's not brisk, but it's steady. We had gotten some rain, so it's a nice and quiet entry. I uh, get up in the stand. There, there is some scraping, and there's, there's some tracks in that transition plot. And again, that transition plot is a—it's not very good. And that's, that's by design. I get up in the stand. I'm texting an old work buddy. Um, everything's everything's just fine, and, and I'm not really seeing anything. Uh, squirrels. There's some acorns dropping, but that's mostly done. And then about 6.30, maybe 20 after 6, to my downwind side. So let me just describe this stand a little bit. There's this draw that comes north and south, and at the tip of the draw, I have about a tenth of an acre transition plot. On the west side of that transition plot is where my stand is. So when an east wind, the, the the wind is in my face, my downwind side drops off drastically. It just drops off like 60, 80 feet. So technically, you can get deer downwind of you, but when you do, as long as the wind stays up and it doesn't lay down, like sometimes it does in the evening, in which case the thermals will just take your scent right down, as long as there's enough of a breeze, a deer can walk right downwind of you, and I've had it in this stand many times, they have no idea you're there because your wind, the scent is right over top of them. So I'm sitting in my stand. I'm facing east. The wind is still blowing. The leaves are still shuffling. And kind of from the northwest, so it's kind of running the length of the draw, but yet still on my downwind side, So, it's, but it's way below me. I hear a deer run up that hill to right below my stand, and it happens fast. Now, I have bad ears to begin with, so... I probably wouldn't have heard the deer from far off. Plus the, the wind is blowing the leaves around pretty good. But I hear this deer run up to right below my tree. I don't have my bow in my hand. Um, I'm sitting, which I normally remain sitting anyways when, I, when I'm shooting. My bow is hung up. And I can literally hear the deer smelling the pigs of my stand. I can hear it like sniffing. I have no idea what it is yet. So I just turn my head to the right and kind of look down over my, you know, past my stand right below me, and I see it's a buck. And it's it's thick. But I, I all I can see is like his tines, and I kind of shift my body a little more. You got to remember, this deer is 15 feet from me right now because it's right below my stand, and it's smelling my pigs. I shift my body a little bit, just enough to where I see it's this buck. It's this big 12-pointer. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and in my mind, I swear, I actually said, you effing can't, what the hell is this? <laughs> and then at the same time, this buck is getting nervous. So not only, I go from like on cloud nine, because I'm like, you no freaking way is that this buck is right here to you gotta be shitting me he's gonna smell these pegs and he's gonna be gone and but I'm not moving and at one point as he's smelling the pigs he actually looked 
up at me. He's, he's looking right at me, but I can't even see his eyes because I never even shifted my head and stuff enough that all I can see is his rack, like the tips of his antlers pointing like back. So he's like looking up at me. Okay. And I'm, but I know it's this big buck. And so I'm just thinking, what in the hell, you know, is it, what's going to happen? I don't, I don't, there's nothing I can do right now. This, everything is out of my control. It's all what the deer does. And just as fast as all that happens, he kind of sniffs a couple more times and he turns to the east and he walks right out to that transition pot. And as he's doing that, obviously, because he was at my tree, he's walking, walking directly away from me, which deer can see the peripheral is, you know, what is it? 300 degrees. So they can only see, like, can't see behind their head. Yeah. Well, that that's what I have. So I grab my bowl. I put my release on the string loop. I shift in the stand. I don't stand up, but I shift. So I, I'm moving a lot, but he has no idea what's going on because I'm directly behind him. He makes his way to his transition plot. He turns perfectly, like quartering away, almost full broadside, but there's just a bunch of stuff in the way. So I'm at full, what do you want to say, like tension on the string. So I'm actually like almost starting to pull back. My left arm, I shoot right-handed, so my left arm is locked. I'm, I'm ready to kill this son of a gun, you know? Right. And he's got to move. And he's standing there and he's looking around. This deer has no clue that there's a hunter eight yards from him and he puts his head down he nibbles a little bit he starts to walk and i pull back and at the same time i pull as i'm pulling back i just give a couple just a, just ever so slightly because i want him to stop and he hears that and he kind of i don't want to say spooks but i guess that's the right word for it but he kind of runs a little bit into that opening and all I have, I mean, it's a perfect shot, but there are some twigs sticking up. So I, even though I'm sitting, I still kind of like stretch my posture so I can kind of make myself higher. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah. And when I, and when I do that, the twigs are now like covering his legs. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I'm like, okay, it's, it's over. I settled the pin on the heart and whap. And I shoot a fast bowl. But when the arrow went, you heard, if you shot enough deer, you know what the sound sounds like when it's a perfect hit. The deer takes off. I personally don't see the arrow. I have no idea based on sight other than at eight yards, I would have to do something really bad or really make, like, make a big-time error and miss a shot at eight yards. Right, right. It sounds good. In my mind, I just shot the biggest buck of my life. Yeah. So real quick, when he when he was walking away from you, was he still one hundred percent like a, walking away from you when you did the little ramp to get him nope, to stop nope, and turn around, or did he eventually turn nope. broadside? No. Nope, when he when he walks away, I grab my bow, I put my release on the string, I'm. I'm shift my body but when he when he enters the transition plot he actually turns broadside okay i gotcha i gotcha he's already broadside but initially when he turns broadside there's there's a ton of leaves and and branches so he's standing broadside at eight yards just looking around just not a care in the world and then i needed him i need him to, to take a step 
in some direction to get an opening. And, and he basically just walked right to the right. It's like if you would say, I want, I want the biggest luck of my life to walk here, turn broadside, and go here, and then stop. That's what he did. <laughs> you, couldn't, you couldn't ask for, yeah. I mean, it just went perfect. Because it's, yeah, you can't, if I, you know, if I had to pick something, that, that would be it. Yeah. All right. So you smoke him at eight yards. What was the, once, once you saw the arrow disappear through him, what was the first thought that popped into your head? So I, so I did, cause I didn't see the arrow. Okay. I heard it. I heard it. I had my pin on his heart at eight yards. He runs off. Now again, I know I'm repeating myself, but the wind is steady. So if there was a crash, let's say at 80 yards, I don't know that I would hear it. But yet at the same time, it's like, I know I hit, I know I hit this deer good. The right thing to do is to wait 15, 20 minutes, get down, literally sneak out and go, come back the next morning. Even though in my mind, this deer is laying over there and he's probably already done. Yeah. So that's what I do. I wait 15, 20 minutes, uh, put my bow away. I'm taking my time because I'm, pretty elated i don't want to fall out of this tree taking my time and i'm my my way out from this stand is right past where i shot this deer and so i'm like i'm gonna walk past where i shot this deer i'm gonna walk over the crest of the the draw that i'm hunting on i'm gonna sneak out of here and we'll come back and get him in the morning i get to where the, the shot is and there's blood everywhere i take three or four steps to walk out and there's blood everywhere, and I look and I see him. He only went <laughs> 40, 50 yards, but from the tree stand, I couldn't see that. All right. So now you have confirmation. So when <laughs> yeah. when did you urinate yourself? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the truth of the matter is I knew this was a big buck, but I never, I never sat around and – dissected trail camp pictures from all the different angles and all oh, this time's got to be 12 and a half inches. And I never did that. Yeah. I, I never did. I don't, I don't know if this deer is 180 inches or 200 inches, or I just know it's a big buck and it's probably the biggest buck of my life. And I'm happy as can be that he's over there. So I walk up to him and now I realize that this thing is huge. Yeah. So immediately I call my wife and I call my son and I call my daughter and nobody answers. So then I call my wife, I call my, son, I call my aunt's daughter and nobody answers. <laughs> but that's kind of how the night went from there. Man, oh. that's amazing. That is, that's crazy. And it's cool. You know, I don't know how many times you've been on this podcast and talk, you know, we talk about habitat management, you know, from food plots to hinge cutting to, you know, getting rid of invasive species and all this stuff. And then this happens on your own property, all that work that you've done to this farm in a way it's paid off. Absolutely. Yeah. Now one of the, one of the things, one of the feedback I got the most from my wife, my son and my daughter was no one deserved it more than me because of the time I spent in on that farm. I mean, more they, in texts and calls, and I actually went back to my son and daughter live in Wisconsin, and I 
I had the the skull or the antlers uh, skull taped, so I could take it back and show them. And that's none of them said anything more than that because for years it was, which you know my son and my daughter took turns on who could uh, muzzleloader hunt, and I passed up some really nice deer because they were coming in for a muzzleloader hunt, and I I didn't want to shoot it because I would feel awful if I would shoot a really nice buck. And then my son and my daughter would show up and not get one because it meant more to me that they would get one type of thing. But yeah, <clears throat> so the feedback I got was, you know, one, it's about time you shot something. And number two, it's, you deserved it because you put the time in. And I yeah. tell you what it is, it sure is uh, satisfying that he came out of a draw. Um, he came into a transition plot that was put there to do exactly what it did. Uh, the stand was put there for an east wind, which I hunted it, and I mean every everything that was that was planned out just worked. So pretty yeah. satisfying when that happens. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Uh, congratulations. Do you happen to know how old or any thoughts of how old this buck is? No, I. So that's that's where it comes into a debate, and I shouldn't say debate, but some of my neighbors. Uh, we were talking actually that night and then the next night and stuff and, and they're thinking that it's a buck that we've been watching for a few years. So it would be six or seven. I don't know. I personally, I don't think it's the one that one of my neighbors thinks it is. Um, a different neighbor said they've been watching this specific buck and they're positive it's him. And it was one of their bucks that they were going to try and kill this year. That, that I probably think is the more likely scenario. And then they left or he left their farm and took up, you know, quote unquote sanctuary on my farm because he just wanted to get away right. from everybody. Which brings me which brings me back to where I was kind of skipping ahead here about a half hour ago. That north draw has probably the least amount of deer on it on my whole farm. It's it's kind of an oak ridge draw, so it has acorns and stuff on it some years part of the time. But it just seems like every other year there's a giant buck that hangs out on that ridge, on that draw, all by himself, and that's just the way it is. And I think it's just because they don't want to deal, even though there's better bedding habitat, there's better daytime food, there's better woody, better woody browse, all the things we talk about in the other podcast on different parts of my farm, they just go there. Right, And it's because they just don't want to deal with any other deer. They just want to be all by themselves. So now looking back, when I said my money was on that west draw, it doesn't shock me now that it's all over that he was on this other draw. My son killed just a giant buck, I think, in 2014. Same farm, the same north draw during late muzzleloader. And he was all by himself on that draw. Um, all the other deer that were coming out to standing beans were using different areas to come out, and he was all by himself. He came out by himself, and my son got him. I mean, it's the same thing because they, they he didn't want to tolerate all that other deer activity. And I, looking back, now it doesn't surprise me right. at all that that's that's what he was that's what he was doing. Right. All right. So we we have this. You know, some stories are multiple years long. Some stories are one season long or in your scenario, you know, like 35 days or well, like 60 days, right? Something, yeah. something yeah. along those lines. 
Um, what did he end up scoring? That way everybody at home can get a visualization of what we're talking about. He, he ended up grossing 207 and 78. Okay. That's a mammoth, and dude. Some, yeah, and some, like my nephew was wanting a bunch of pictures and, oh, it, it's got to be the mass. It's got to be the mass. And then, you know, and then uh, oh, main beam's got to be really long and stuff. And the only thing I can say is it's just everything. Yeah. It's just, you know, one of the main beams is almost 28 inches long. There's three mass measurements that are six inches or above. It's got 18 scorable points. So I mean, you can just imagine, a, a, just in your mind, picture of just a big, big 10-pointer. Yeah. You know, a big, big, massive 10-pointer scores 170. And I'll give that same deer eight more points. Yeah. You, you see what I'm saying? It, yep. just, it doesn't, it's not hard when you look at it, it's not hard to see how that deer grew to 200 plus because it's just, they're just so much better to add up. Right. And so. I, I think I really like, and I think one of the, one of the tines is hidden in the picture, but it, he's a, he's a mainframe. Well, he's a seven by seven, right? He's a, he technically is a seven by seven. Okay. Yep. Seven by seven. So he's got one, two, three, four, five, he he's got five six seven so he's got spl- he's got uh, split brow tine on one side right that, both sides got split brows bl- yeah both sides and then uh, and then it's just the rest from there so man Tom congratulations uh, on a, a killer buck your season is not over yet do you have any other targets acquired yet to go after I do I Perfect. do there's actually some really nice bucks here at home, uh, what I call the home farm. And there's actually a few more really nice bucks on that same farm where I shot uh, him, but I have a hunter that's coming in and going to be hunting that farm in November. So I'll, the only thing I would go back there for is uh, maybe to kill some does. So what I did is I kind of took a week off and just enjoyed. It just To me, it just seemed like it was too greedy to head back out the next day. It just Right. Just take a pause and have fun and, and you know. Honor the beast. It's just, it, yeah, it's just, it almost seemed like it. It almost seemed like I just needed to take a break before I went right back out. It almost seemed like it'd be too greedy to just, oh, I got to get back in there and get another one. No, I'll kind of just sit back and enjoy this one. But I'll be uh, I'll be back after him here real quick. So. Well, again, congratulations and good luck the rest of the season, Tom. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me on. It was fun to tell the story. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode of the Iowa Sportsman is in the books. Huge shout out to Tom for taking time out of his day to hop on and tell this amazing story. Huge shout out to our partners over at Quiet Cat. And please, if you haven't had the opportunity to subscribe to the Iowa Sportsman magazine, please do that. And you can do that by going to the Iowa Sportsman website, iowasportsman.com. Subscribe to the magazine there, and you can also read some of the blog articles and some additional content on the website, iosportsman.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time.